Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach. Good morning. Welcome to our weekly show, Taking Care of Business. In our interviews during the past eight months, one of the questions we ask our guest is, do you have any other entrepreneurs in your family, whether it's parents or siblings? My guest today answered this question in their day-to-day life. Their entrepreneurship spirit runs in the family. My guests today are Bob Wolf, president of Wolf Automobile Group, and his daughter, Ashley Wolf, general manager, GSL GM City. Good morning, Bob and Ashley, and thank you for being my guest today. Morning, David. Good morning. As I mentioned, entrepreneurship runs in the Wolf family. Ashley and her brother Harrison represent the fourth generation of entrepreneurship. It was their great-grandfather, F.J. Wolf, that opened the first family dealership in Edmonton in 1921. Edmonton Motors, by the way, is where the City Hall of Edmonton is located today and occupy the same site that Edmonton Motors started on. That's right. That's correct. Uh, today, the Wolf Automobile Group owns four dealerships. The original one, Edmonton Motors, managed by Ashley's brother Harrison and Western GMC Buick in Edmonton, GSL GM City in Calgary, both of them in Alberta, and Preston GM in Langley, British Columbia, just east of Vancouver. We uh, we no longer own Prestons. Oh, so you, uh, recent sale. I see. We have to have you have to update I your know, uh, website. <laughs> Um, so, and you represent a brand such as GMC, Buick, Chevrolet, and Cadillac. That's correct. correct. While we were preparing for this interview, we couldn't find your bios. Bob, not sure, and I doubt you have Facebook or LinkedIn pages. What's Facebook? <laughs> and actually, on your Facebook and LinkedIn, even though we are connected, uh, there's not a lot of information being shared. So, uh, you know... Since we couldn't find your bios, uh, our first part of the interview will be trying to figure out a little bit about who you are, where you come from, and how did you get here. Um, And, you know, I'll start with Bob. um, And, and, you know, age, you know, I'll give you the respect, Bob. You're giving me the benefit I'm giving you. (laughs) Um, You know, Bob, based on your uh, family history, your grandfather studying more the... uh, Edmonton Motors in 1921. Uh, I think it won't be a wild guess, I guess, for me to kind of assume that you guys were born in Alberta. Yes, I'm a raised and born, born and raised and educated in Alberta. Oh, educated as well. That's correct. I see. So, you know, most of my interviewees, none of them, were, I would say a very small amount of them were born in Alberta. A lot of people here are from other places. So, can you kind of... Uh, Describe to us how it does it feel to be a minority today in Alberta? <laughs> well, I'm very proud to be an Albertan. It's, uh, you know, it's my heritage. And uh, I've watched, as a, from a young boy, these cities get bigger and bigger and uh, opportunities grow and grow. So, so uh, describe to us, you know, today Edmonton, and let's say, uh, uh, are you born and raised in Edmonton? I was born and raised in Edmonton. So today Edmonton is a million people. It wasn't a million people when you were growing up as a child or a young adult. So 
can you describe a little bit the difference between today and then? What do you remember from those days? Well, I remember as a small boy being raised in a house and uh, we ended up with more siblings than room. And my <laughs> mother and father chose to um, improve our lot in life and get a bigger house. And we moved into the West End, which is almost downtown now. And uh, that was the end of the road. It was dirt roads and construction down every little roadway that there was. Do you remember the first time that Edmonton got a traffic light? No, I think that was before me. <laughs> I see. The, the whole neighborhood went out to see it. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and growing up, what kind of a kid were you? Were you kind of a hyper kid, quiet kid, social animal maybe? No, I wasn't a social animal. Athletics were big in my family. My grandfather was very much an athletic man and encouraged me to you know, play sports, of which I did. Loved to play hockey. And like a lot of young boys, we had outdoor rinks. My father used to flood the garden in the wintertime, and we'd be out there 24-7. Oh, it wasn't on a computer? No, it was not a computer. <laughs> and um, did you kind of uh, take sports a little bit further than high school or, or adulthood? Well, very much so. I think like a lot of young men at that era, you know, I... grew up watching hockey games and hoping that I would eventually become a hockey player. And like a lot of young men, you kind of just chase that all the way along your you know, immature life. <laughs> Ashley, let's uh, kind of uh, <laughs> chat about you a little bit. So you were born also in Edmonton? I was, yes. And uh, what do you remember from uh, the Edmonton then to Edmonton today? Not that you're too old. Yeah, oh, that's fair. Uh, um, and not a lot. We, uh, uh, I was born in 82 and we moved to Calgary, uh, I believe in um, 90 or maybe 88, sorry, 86 we moved to Calgary. So uh, I was only four when we moved. So um, you don't remember much from Edmonton? Yeah, I, re I remember uh, my dad uh, pulling my brother and I on our skis in the, in the ditches of the neighborhood. Uh, <laughs> In the evenings. So <laughs> that's about it. we are discussing today, I mean, not we, uh, but uh, there's a discussion today, a growing discussion in Calgary about whether we should host the Olympics, the next Oli uh, Winter Olympics. At age six, what do you remember from the Winter Olympics of 89? Uh, of 88, sorry. I do remember uh, we had some family visit, and, and I don't know if I actually remember or I remember through stories, but... Uh, Uh, Bob was uh, involved in helping the Olympic Committee uh, through GSL supply some of their vehicles, to my understanding. And, uh, and because of that connection with General Motors, uh, we, were, we were afforded a few luxury tickets that he shared with my, my mother's side of the family, who tends to show up. <laughs> when tickets are available. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, so that's what I remember. And I believe, I do remember Eddie the Eagle. I think he was in the 80s. I watched <laughs> the movie. So, I, so, Bob, what do you remember from the 88 Olympics? Well, I remember it was a fun time. It was very relaxed. I think Calgarians as a whole volunteered to a great degree. Uh, from a personal side, We got phone calls from all over Western Canada and other places wanting to come to the Olympics and expected to be treated like we've shown up and give us the tickets. <laughs> I think one night we had 13 house guests. We had them sleeping everywhere. And thank goodness for this, this sort of volunteer network of uh, 
uh, friends and or not friends and family, but other people, that we got extra tickets. And the secretaries all around town had the bamboo telegraph going on. <laughs> now we've got two extra for this event. Can we trade off for four more of this? And so it, we were able to basically oblige most of our guests. So as Calgarians, what's your opinion? Should we host uh, the 2026 uh, Winter Olympics or not? Personally, I think that money is involved a lot more than it was way back when. And I guess past experience on the latest Olympics have proven to the fact that economically it's not a good deal. Uh, whether they can make it a good deal financially is still up to be decided. Ashley, yeah, I would, take. Yeah, I would say I'm in the same boat. I, if, if we're going to lose money, I don't know if the province is in a position to lose any more money than we've been losing recently. <laughs> um, but, you know, as, as on a personal side, I'd love to see them here because uh, I think it would be, uh, you know, all the all the excitement and fun and uh, community spirit that uh, provides Calgary, I think would be nice, but it just depends on how the budget comes in, I guess. So, um, usually, uh, like I asked you, Bob, usually I ask the person that I interview, what kind of kid were you growing up? But I'm going to ask you, what kind of kid was Ashley growing up? Okay. <laughs> and, and there's no politically correctness in my show. How about a pain in the ass? <laughs> <laughs> no, very adventuresome. Uh, the truth you know. comes out. <laughs> precocious, started skiing at a very young age, and I mean a very young age, and uh, kept her mother and I totally running all the time. <laughs> I see. So very active. Very active. So nothing's changed. Really. <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't run as fast these days. <laughs> so um, I have a question. Having, you know, a family business that runs, uh, you're the third generation, Bob. That's correct. Uh, did you have to work in the family business, you know, in summer, uh, summer vacations or, uh, you know, after school? Well, I didn't have to, but a couple of times I availed myself of the opportunity. Uh, I like to work elsewhere to sort of prove that I could do something other than just working within the family arrangement. But uh, it was there, and uh, I could work part-time in the weekends to earn extra money. And my father used me kind of for some of these extra things. For example, when we were moving vehicles uh, we used to bring medium-duty trucks all the way from Ontario. And my father would phone me up and say, how would you like to make some extra money this next long weekend? How would you like to fly to Toronto, pick up a couple of tandem trucks, and drive them across Canada, and I'll pay you 500 bucks? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, that's a hell of a deal. <laughs> so I'd spend the whole weekend, a long weekend on the road driving from... Southern Ontario, all the way back to Alberta, towing a couple of big semi-trailer trucks. Ashley, <laughs> um, how did you spend your summers and uh, after hours, after school hours? Well, uh, my uh, my parents went their separate ways when I was quite young, so uh, I uh, I grew up on the the west coast and uh, wasn't wasn't available to do the evenings and weekends. Um, but there were a couple summers that I did work a short period of time to to pay off uh, cell phone teenage debts and, and such <laughs> things that I accumulated. But uh, for the most part, I was heavily involved in um, softball, and I, I ate up my free time. I see. Um, did you kind of, uh, after you graduating, did you graduate high school and go to university? What was the 
kind of process that you went through? Well, my high school career wasn't exemplary. I took four years to do three. Yeah. But I eventually made it to university and attended the University of Alberta. And uh, Where you took six years to do four? <laughs> no, I managed it in <laughs> four years. I mean... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the jury is still out about that one. Yes, I did graduate. There is a diploma out there, a diploma though. I have on seen the wall. It. <laughs> diploma I paid my in parking tickets. Diploma in what? In what? Uh, in business. In business. Yes. And actually, you took a completely different approach or to university than uh, you know the, the the automobile industry. You are in law enforcement. You're looking for justice. Yeah. I, well, there was a couple of things. I went. Um, I went to the Coast Guard Academy out of uh, high school because uh, I'm also an American citizen and was thinking I would go into the Coast Guard and fly helicopters. And then uh, decided to change direction. I went to Arizona State University um, and majored in justice studies. And I was thinking I was going to go in the FBI. That was my that was my long term plan. I see. Yeah. Look, looking for justice in yeah. the world. Looking for action, I think. <laughs> I see. Hey, uh, if you need help, uh, one call and you can get uh, to the Israeli FBI. I have two of my <laughs> classmates there. So, um, so what made the change? You know, ch- you know, chasing justice, FBI mm-hmm. career in in you know a lot of action mm-hmm. to the automobile industry. <laughs> Um, I think in when I was in university, uh, my father and I got uh, quite close through sailing. We share a passion in sailing. We sailed uh, quite a bit through four or five years together. And, um, you know, I think through that, when I graduated university, uh, he had basically indicated that if, if, if I had any interest, then there would be an opportunity to um, be a part of the family business. And since I didn't grow up in it, I didn't think I had a fair answer, uh, yes or no, because I didn't have any experience. So I I came back to Calgary and committed three years to see if I liked it. Uh, first, I lived in his basement for a few months until I could afford a, a spot to live in. And I enrolled in a National Automobile Dealer Association, uh, NADA, the year after to get some education because, like I said, I didn't have any ex- experience like a, a dealer child would normally have. Mm-hmm. And um, that was 12 years ago. So what was her first job when she joined? Uh, executive VP <laughs> no, or no, 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 started no, at the no. bottom? I was I was everybody's I won't even say the word. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did whatever anybody needed. And did, did you do the same when you started? Very much so. Yes. I I got well when I after university I left and had no desire really per se to be in the car business. I I uh, until one day I was living in Vancouver and I got a phone call from my father uh, who said he was considering retiring in a year or so and uh, if I wasn't interested in the business uh, he was going to sell it because my siblings were too young and he he wasn't prepared to wait for them and so uh, I flew back to Edmonton and I met with him and uh, we uh, reached an agreement. Mm-hmm. He laid out a training program for me that was <laughs> very intricate and very long and very involved. And I guess uh, I disagreed with him. I said, you know, I, I don't know how, don't have to know all the part numbers. I just have to know how the parts department works. And uh, he agreed and he said, well, I'll shorten it up and write your own. 
which I did. And I started like the basic sales guy. I sold cars. And then I said, first of all, I sold used cars, then I sold new cars, and then it went from there. And at that time, you had uh, one dealership or already two? We had one. One? But the family. Just Abbott's Motors. Mm-hmm. The family, my grandfather had several sons and daughters, and they were in other dealerships, not ours. I see. And uh, so was there a point that uh, you had three generations working at the same dealership? Two generations? Yes, I worked. My father was still alive. But I, your uh, grandfather was not. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see. There was never three alive. Three, three. Yeah. I see. Um, you know, we have to take a break. You know, commercials are part of the, uh, of the story. Uh, we have to take our first commercial break. Uh, open a new tab and check their website, www.gslgmct.com. Check out their 2017 videos and their women-to-women women unique approach, which we'll discuss later with Ashley. And we will, back, we will be back with you on the other side of the commercials. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleiner interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleiner Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. So, uh, Bob, you mentioned that, um, you know what, not Bob, I'll start with Ashley now. With all the respect to you, Bob, I'm going to start with Ashley. She looks better than you. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Um, So, Ashley, how is it to work with Dad in the office above your office? 
<laughs> I, As I said, there's no politically correctness no, no. on my shows. <laughs> I, to be honest, it's actually uh, it's it's excellent. We have a uh, a really good working relationship. Um, it's very abnormal, I would say, uh, in a family business. It's uh, by this generation usually everybody hates one another. Typically, I think the. The percentage of uh, success is probably about 2% after four generations. So, you know, for us, I, I, I don't know why it works. It's, we probably think very similarly. I would say that's, that's fair to say. Um, it, from the get-go, he's given me um, uh, all the opportunities to make my own mistakes. Um, but for the most part, I always bring him into bring him into anything that's serious that I need some advice on and usually take it. But he's never micromanaged and um, it's very very easy to work with him for me Bob now to you because you have the perspective of working with your dad and then now working with your son and your daughter so um, how did it kind of uh, evolve in, in the relationship of working with with your dad first and how was it then and how is it with with your two uh, kids now uh, my father gave me some good advice when I came into the firm and one of the things when I first came into the firm was uh, I just didn't want to be a, a blueprint of the previous administration. And my dad sat me down and said, look at statistically, as a multi-generational business, the numbers start getting pretty bad. The more generations, the least, the, or the greater opportunity for failure. And he said in his observations the failure was based upon they refused to change the business that is now that doesn't mean you give up the values of the business but you have to change with the times and in my era my fledgling era times meant we went from manually accounting for everything to gradually into the computer industry so I sat both of my children down and said, look at this is the same piece of advice that my dad gave me. We have to change with the times. Now, the internet, for me, I'm a dinosaur. I recognize that. So the future of our businesses, when I say our businesses, our family businesses, are change. And youth represents that change. And I present to you youth and the change that goes with it, new ideas, new things that are happening in the world that I'm out of touch with. So there you go. Yeah, no, that's a great advice. Um, you know, I want to go uh, to one, uh, both of you shared something about the uh, success or failure of multi-generational uh, family businesses. And there is a great book about family businesses by Grant Robinson. Uh, the book is called Every Family's Business. And like you guys, with one difference, uh, his great-grandfather started a business, sold it, gave the money to his kids. His grandfather started a business, sold it, gave the money to his kids. His father started a business, got the boys to join. Then one kid didn't like it. The one guy bought the other one out. Then the father and the son continued, grew the business, sold it for a nice chunk of change. And that created a little bit of unsettlement in the family, right? And a lot of kind of jealousy. Did you have any kind of 
during those times before uh, Harrison and, and Ashley joined, did you have any kind of thought about maybe I should sell and just give them the money and let them do whatever you, they want? It's crossed my mind, David. I have to be honest with you. You know, I've, I've I, I, maybe from a, a selfish perspective, do I want to continue on and allow an orderly transition, or do I just want to say, give me the money and I'm out the door? Mm-hmm. So, uh, in my view, uh, I'm willing to sacrifice some time in my life to make that happen. So you saw the potential in Ashley and Harrison to continue the business. That's correct. But I asked them both, what would you prefer? Because it's their decision whether they wish to be in my business or their business now, or do they wish just to you know, be beneficiaries of me cashing out? Ashley, you had an option. Why work so hard? Get a check. Because I, t- I told him that he couldn't afford what I wanted. <laughs> no, I, I no, I, uh, I don't know. I would be bored s- senseless without working. So it uh, yeah, wasn't an option. <laughs> I see. And, and how does it work now with, with, you know, Harrison running one dealership and Ashley running another dealership? Are you kind of chairman of the board? How, how, do, how is the, uh, the, the, the family structure or the business structure? The, the business tree, how does it work? What's the relationship between the dealerships and, and the family? Well, he has one head of each store. So I run this one. Harrison runs Edmonton Motors. In our third store, we have another general manager. So he has three general managers, and Bob is the supreme commander. Chairman of the board. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> they have a lot of independence, to, to say the least. And I let them, you know... Because they, I allow them to have a little bit of equity in each enterprise. They have a vested interest in its success or failure. Now, all the three dealerships, yes. do they funnel all to Wolf, Wolf uh, Automobile Group? Pretty much so. Yes. So who is going to be the commander after you? Uh, <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot now. You're putting me on the spot, but I, somebody has to be. It, that is the toughest decision that any parent has to make, I think, or uh, anyone in my position has to make, because you can't leave it up to a, a committee. Somebody has to be eventually responsible for the final decision on a lot of matters, and uh, I happen to be sitting beside the one that will be responsible. Ashley, congratulations. <laughs> How do you see that? How do I see what? The future. Um, of, of the Wolf Automobile, not GSL. Well, I think I think inevitably um, the, the family goal would be more rooftops. Um, in, in a perfect world, I'm sure Harrison and I would love uh, if our, one of our children, we both have two children each, uh, wanted to come in the family. It's, a, you know, it's proven to be a very... Um, fun business to be in at the end of the day. You know, it's 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 uh, it's enjoyable to be in this business. So you joined in two thousand and five. Correct. I I want to take you, Bob, uh, a few years back. Uh, Ashley was three years in the industry when the world collapsed. The economic. <laughs> downturn happened. Yeah, he sucked me in with uh, roses and ponies. <laughs> and then, 
in and, the vortex. And and what I remember, I remember a few things from those times. You know, everybody was connected on CNN, and everybody remembers two things: the Lehman Brothers falling, but everybody also remembers the three big automobile uh, GMs or whatever uh, CEOs flying to Washington, and the whole world was, you know finger pointing at them you are spending money on how what was the impact on a local entrepreneur running dealerships that sell those kind of cars what was the impact that you felt those days uh uncertainty very much so because we did not know what our future was to be um i recall sitting the staff down and We had a general discussion about it because they obviously had families to support and they probably felt the same thing that we did about their uncertainty. Uh, I explained to them that I thought that we had a place in the future of whatever it was to be because we represented a, a fairly good piece of business And whether we were representing Jira Motors or whether we would represent whatever the future was, combination of A, B, and C, I didn't know. But I thought that whoever was the end result would come calling and we would carry on. And did you kind of started exploring or thought about other manufacturers? Well, other I, think the they, I think the big were, three, sorry. I think they were all in the same bad boat. And, uh, I think we've always looked at other manufacturers just I think Bob's always looked for opportunities in general I don't know if that time period escalated more uh, more review of other manufacturers because it's it seems to be those opportunities just come up at, at random you know so it wasn't isolated to that time period but your banker would be calling almost on a daily basis to try to get the news what is happening Right. So it, it, it put us in a very undecided, awkward position. Yeah, and we never knew. They literally called one day and said, uh, you pass and stampede across the street, failed, and you will have their two lines. And we became a four-line dealership because we originally were Chevrolet Cadillac. Mm-hmm. And Stampede didn't make that, that cut when they downsized the rooftops in Calgary, and we absolved Buick and GMC. So it helped you grow uh, your, your delivery to your clients? Pretty much so. So, uh, but that was not your decision, right? No, that no. That was their decision. That was their decision. So you had a meeting with your staff. Uh, everybody was here. You kind of gave them your, your town hall, hall speech. Correct. But what kind of measures did you guys take? What did you do in order to kind of survive those two years? It was almost two years, if I remember correct. 18 months, in, especially in Calgary, it was 18 months. We were short, ours was short enough because the oil started going up in 2010. Well, coincidentally, we continue to still service cars and sell cars and sell parts as well. People smashed into each other regularly in Calgary, still do today. Oh, so you are in favor of winter. I love it. <laughs> opportunity to be honest I think we we moved fairly efficiently on keeping the business to scale so we didn't um, you know unfortunately we had to do some layoffs um, but uh, the sales they decreased but they they weren't awful so we were we were able to you know we took a little bit of a hit but it wasn't drastic so 
Good. So, um, Ashley, I want to ask you a question a little bit about the future. Um, it's in the, again, we're going back to the news today, and the news today is every day you can read something about all electric cars. Mm-hmm. And as Bob earlier said, that you guys are the future, Harrison, you are the future, mm-hmm. and then the future of the company, and the future of thinking how to, what, what do you see uh, the electric versus the diesel or fuel or, or fuel, where do you see that pro- the process or how long do you, you think you, it will take and is it an end of one and start of another? You know, I don't know because at this point the, the electric cars, um, uh, they're, they're not very popular in Alberta um, for reasons probably that have to do with a little bit of weather but, but they also, they're not at a price point where you can really get your return on your investment at this stage. Uh, so it's more about wanting to be uh, on the healthier side for the environment more than it is a cost savings now. Down the road, I, I would be more asking the question of whether we're going to have cars drive themselves before I would say if everybody's going to drive electric cars. Oh. Because that's... But that's, that's all the fun is to drive. No, I know. And I, I think the option <laughs> will still be there. But I, I certainly believe in 10 years or less, people will have vehicles that drive themselves completely. They'll drive your children around without you in them. Cadillac will have a car within the, probably the next 24 months that you could drive between here and Edmonton. Well, they have it now. Like the, So the new CT6 Cadillac um, can drive between here and Edmonton. It won't let you fall asleep because it has a, a display that reads whether you're cognitive in the front seat, whether your eyes are engaged and you're looking. But it'll drive between here and Edmonton, and it stays within two inches of a, of a parameter of the yellow line and, and senses traffic in front and traffic on the side and traffic behind, and you essentially don't have to do anything. Well, I know Bob will love that if it also serves coffee and a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look at the, look maybe at the a beer cheeseburger. Of my maybe a cheeseburger. Yeah. Coffee's not substantial enough. <laughs> so, so Bob, when you uh, bought or got you the business from Dad, you had uh, Edmonton Motors. Yes. When did you start expanding, and how, what was the opportunity to expand to two new dealerships? The one in Edmonton. Uh, Alberta Trucks, and here at GSL GM City? Well, first of all, you have to be ambitious. And I certainly was that. And uh, uh, Edmonton was doing quite well at the time. And uh, I was ambitious. And I had heard through the grapevine that a gentleman named Mr. McNaughton was nearing the age of retirement and thinking about selling his business. And I knew the McNaughton family, uh, or at least my family knew their family, and I picked up the phone and phoned him. And I asked him if he would consider me to be a suitor for his business. And he said, yes. And uh, Just because he didn't know you well. Well, uh, he knew of me. Correct. <laughs> uh, so um, I uh, came to Calgary, and uh, he and I struck a bargain. Uh, On a napkin. I believe. Well, it, it started we, on an app. Well, <laughs> no, it, it, we struck a bargain and we turned the matter over to our respective legal teams. And like a lot of lawyers, they try to outlawyer each other and it went on and on. <laughs> and he finally phoned me and said, look it, I'm going away on my winter vacation. We'll pick this matter up in the spring. <laughs> and it's a true story. Uh, uh, 
Um, he and I played golf at Kananaskis the following spring, and we wrote the deal out on a paper napkin. <laughs> and we both vowed that we would not let our respective legal teams <laughs> mess it up. And, uh, and the rest is history. And the rest is history. I And General Motors at the time was gradually moving from dealers only allowing to ha- allowed to have one dealership. Mm-hmm. And they were they recognized the entrepreneurial spirit and the desire for them to spend their money in a in a positive fashion. You mean in a wild and loose fashion. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we reached our second commercial break. Uh, when you open a new tab, again, go to gslgmct.com. Make sure to follow them on Twitter and on YouTube. Like them on Facebook. Uh, following the commission, we'll discuss with Ashley the family business in more depth. Uh, Bob, thank you. I need. Thank I understand you, you have to leave. And uh, thank you for uh, so much for being with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D I V I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. So, uh, Ashley. You know, I, I want to ask you a few questions that um, you have probably a good perspective looking at the family history in this uh, industry. What do you contribute the success of the Wolf Group for almost 100 years? It's almost a century. In four years, we're going to celebrate a century of your family business. Yeah, I, I knew that, but I didn't realize that until you said that. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you know the month they started? No. That I don't. Uh, I might be on the Evan Tomorrow's website, but I'm not. I don't. I don't know. I'd have to look. It'd be interesting because now be you're a... making me think I should throw a party. Uh, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt, and I'm sure I'm on the invitee list. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I, I obviously a lot of things. I 
I would imagine um, uh, uh, just a kind of a family strain of a uh, hard work ethic uh, comes with it. Um, I think that, that the items that my father mentioned about being able to, to pass on to the generation without kind of getting in the way is uh, was very, very good advice and has been very helpful if I speak from my personal chapter. Um, also, I think a big part of it is the, the, the family's always been very proud about surrounding themselves with uh, excellent people. So I, I think that's the most of it. It's not really It's not really us who did it. It's everybody that supported us and was you know we've always had excellent people uh, and been able to have people stay in the organization for a long long time and um, you know they're, they're the reason why it's successful again I, I shouldn't be assuming anything but it's part of uh, us as uh, human nature to, it's part of human nature to assume stuff and my, my guess is that uh, 197 years ago <laughs> There wasn't a mission, vision, and purpose on the wall. Uh, no, probably, probably not. But I, I'm sure people understood it. Um, do you have them today? On the wall? Yeah, on the wall. And we, do you have them on the floor? We, it's we, one thing to have it on the wall. Yeah. But do you have them? Uh, we do, yes. Uh, we do have them on the wall, but uh, that's that's not really important in my mind because you can put anything on the wall. And, um, and, and Sorry, do you have them different from each dealership or it's the Wolf Automobile Group mission, vision and value that goes trickles down to the three dealerships? It's the same. I think every every store, like Bob had mentioned, has a has its individualities. Uh, but the the same vision and mission is is uh, is one of the statements is it's all about our people. That came from our founder mm-hmm. and that's very much uh, valid today. And um yeah, the other one is just, you know, to, to provide quality customer service. Uh, you know, without our customers, we really can't accomplish anything. So so how do you take it from the wall to the floor? Because that's the biggest challenge I see with a lot of entrepreneurs. <laughs> I, I, I think that's a, a day-to-day uh, uh, task, really. It's, um, you're always challenged by decisions. And, and realistically, the way I treat it here is um, we just try to do what's right. That's, I always am asked about decisions every day or, or two or three times a week that um, you know have all kinds of emotions attached to them or financial decisions attached to them. And, and when you circle back, if it's a customer-related uh, circumstance, it's really about um, regardless of how much money it costs or uh, you know what the circumstances may be, we just try to do what's right. It's just it's that simple to me, I guess. So uh, you or Bob or both of you are the champions of the mission, vision, and yeah, I, I would say he is definitely the figurehead, um, and I would be the champion in this store. I think each each general manager is the champion in their own store. I see, um, and obviously. You know, we try to make that a, a group effort. So when we look at um, the vision or the values, if you want to call it, of the company, those were built in in groups. You know, we, we it wasn't Bob waking up one day and deciding this is what we're going to do. You know, we, we very much bring all the management team in and we talk about what's important to us. Um, so that, you know, so there's buy-in. It's not just, I'm not just sending it down the hill. <laughs> so no, um I have to ask you uh, one very important question that um, it, it kind of, you, you can't ignore it. 
when people talk about the car industry, mm-hmm. people look at it as a very male-dominant industry. Mm-hmm. And when you join the industry and you kind of climb through the ranks of uh, the dealership, uh, did you kind of feel okay in this environment? Did people give you cold <laughs> shoulder? Again, no politically no, correctness. No. <laughs> Tell um, us what the story yeah. was. <laughs> uh, you know, I think... Um, when I joined the organization, Bob was very clear out of the gate that I would be uh, the next, the next one in line, which helped. So there wasn't, there wasn't this mystery of where is she going to go? Is she after my job? What is she doing? Uh, because I wasn't after anybody's job. Um, I think uh, it was a struggle um, at first. Uh, it helps that I'm a tomboy at heart, so I I speak that language. Um, in and I'm. Uh, not easily offended and very much can hang out in any locker room on the planet. So it's not, it, that was not an issue for me. And most of the people, I would say 99% of the people at GSL uh, were very, very helpful and respectful. I was talking, uh, maybe I didn't. You mean customers? No, I talk about the industry. Industry. Because you're involved now in the industry. Yeah, the industry, um, you know, it's, it is interesting even to this day. I don't think it's, uh, it, I don't think it's difficult, but it, it's noticeable. Like I, you know, GSL won an award last year, um, the President's Club Award, which is is given to a certain amount of dealers in the country for meeting certain standards, and it's a it's a prestigious award to get. And they have not they have not given awards out like that um, since before I started because it was right at the beginning of the downturn. So they stopped doing these these things. Right. So this is the first year they brought it back. So it's a very big deal. Uh, and very big deal for me because these are all the things that my father sucked me into the dealership. Then, <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things I noticed, and it's interesting because I took, you know, we won this award and my husband and I went on this trip and there are all these dealers and, um, you know, I'm the only woman. <laughs> so, that's just the way it is. So it was interesting because I'll never forget the morning we had a business meeting at this trip and uh, obviously for tax reasons, I'm sure. And and then the spouses get to go on this hike. And I looked at my husband and I said, <laughs> I have a feeling you're going to be the only man on that. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's still very much there. Um, uh, do, you, do you see more women getting involved in the industry in high positions? Uh, I think I th- there's definitely more than there was when I first joined. It's still really small, though. Um, and I don't want to be quoted for this, but it's probably... I think there's four dealer principals in Canada, maybe three. So there's not there's not a lot. Uh, there's uh, under five GMs, I'm sure. Um, it's still a business that doesn't lend itself to the stereotypical family business. It's long hours, um, unpredictable hours. It's retail. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it's retail. Right. So even to this day, you know, it's 2017, and uh, I don't. I have one woman saleswoman, and uh, she's one of two I've had in 12 years, and not for the lack of trying. It's just, it's hard to have children and be in this industry. Right. I guess, and so. Which brings me to that unique um, uh, website page that I don't think I saw on any other. Um, dealership website and that's women to women can you explore can you explain yeah. and uh, elaborate a little bit I about think uh, I think what we were trying to achieve is um, oftentimes well statistics say that women are the decision makers in their family uh, they may really? not be yeah <laughs> and you know this 
everybody who's who's a man is stunned by that secret. On the contrary, <laughs> for 33 years, I, I know it's for 33 years that I don't make any important <laughs> there, decision. There you go. So uh, oftentimes it's um, uh, men come in to make car deals happen and then they go home. It, uh, and this is, I'm just talking generalities, but typically what we see is they come out and they need to speak to their wife or their wife comes in and makes the decision. And we were trying to accomplish uh, now having a woman salesperson. Um, oftentimes, women who come in would rather speak to a woman. And you know, it's it's you know, it's not. I'm not trying to be sexist on either side, but uh, women from experience tend to be uncomfortable in a car dealership with people who are trying to sell them cars, and under the assumption they don't know anything about cars, and they're intimidated and. And so it's it. I often get involved with women who come in here looking for cars because they they are just at ease speaking to me versus somebody else. I see. So I can't. Can I also buy a of car course. from a woman? Yeah. <laughs> of course. So I, I think I, you know we just looked at it as an opportunity to kind of address that uh, elephant in the room of if a woman was coming in here and and buying a car and she actually wanted or preferred speaking to another woman that we would have this opportunity. I, I want to go back to something you said. It just dawned on me that uh, you said that um, you won the president award. Yeah. And uh, the dealership, and uh, it's the first time they brought it back since 2000. And since the, the well, I've never seen it in my career, so it, I'm not sure when it left, but it used to be called the Royal, uh, the Triple Crown. So now, without being any, without using any humbleness, humbleness, what? You contribute to you getting GSL to the level that they want that they won this award. What did you bring to the table in the last few years? Me personally, yeah, yeah, because you are running the yeah. show here. Yeah, I, you know, I probably hired the right people. You know, yep. it's it, it. You know, my job here is is uh, to hire the right people. You know, put the right pegs in the right holes. And um, facilitate positive communication between those people. Um, so I, you know, I don't have an expertise in one area, but I feel like I understand people. But you know justice. Yeah, I do. <laughs> it's, been a while, it's been a while. <laughs> but, but, you know, I think that's really, we, uh, we're an ambitious store. Um, we often fail. Uh, at different uh, different things that we're challenged with, but I, I think we're always looking for something new, something fresh, trying to get ahead, and that's why we, we do often fail with some of the things that we we choose to do. But but we'll never be last because we waited to 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 get out in front. Like it, it just won't happen. And do, do you do you kind of cooperate with Harrison on decisions uh, that? will benefit both yeah we, we try to, to do our best um you know on each month we try to get together on if, if we feel like we've had some success in a vehicle line we absolutely share it with our our partners um uh or if we have an advertising strategy or we share inventory or if we have a used vehicle that we were problemed with um we try to help one another out so yeah. uh, we're about Three and a half, four minutes from the end of our show. So I have to ask you some closing sure. questions. And I hope they're not easy. None of them have been easy. <laughs> <laughs> what have you, working with your dad, what have you learned about Bob in the last uh, nine years? No, sorry, 12 years. Oh, yeah, 12. Um, 
I, he's very, very humble. Uh, he will never, ever take credit for, for anything, ever. Even if he's, he's truly the glue around here for sure. Like I, you know, I run the place, but it would be a different world without him. What have you learned about yourself in those uh, 12 years? <laughs> uh, that, uh, well, I, I don't know, I, I don't quit. Uh, I'll never quit. So that's one of those things. Um, uh, really enjoy the challenge. Uh, very much enjoy working with him and um, seeing some success. I see. Where do you see the Wolf Automobile Group in three years? I don't want to go in five th years, but let's say it's three years. Yeah. Uh, in three years, um, well, you know, right now we're building a standalone Cadillac store in Edmonton. So that's it. we've uh, we've um, just broken ground. So uh, that will be up in my brother's territory, and uh, this will be uh, the first one in Edmonton. Uh, just a, just a Cadillac store, brand new from the ground up. So that will be beautiful. So that's another rooftop. Um, ideally, you know, I, I'm actively looking for more stores and to answer your earlier question, a different brand. Um, so, you know, if a Mercedes or a Lexus or a BMW store or any of those things, I, I'd like to get another luxury brand. Uh, that, that appeals to me. Mm -hmm. um, so more rooftops um, and just probably, you know, uh, exploring more of that kind of online world I think that's where where it's going personally so if you sit today as a mentor with a new entrepreneur that wants to join a family business what are what is the good advice you're going to share with that person uh, be patient <laughs> <laughs> AI <laughs> family businesses a you know For the good or the bad, um, they the business never turns off. So, when you're at Christmas or Easter or it's you don't have uh, a break, so you truly have to love it to be involved in a family business. So I would say patience, <laughs> if, if that was my advice to a new family business person entering in the field. So it patience that go through the whole family. Yeah, it's it's because you're dealing with. One, you can't pick your family. Everybody knows that. You can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. So if you're going to be in business with your family, not only do you have to love them outside of business, uh, but then you have to respect them as a business person and a partner. And that's has its challenges some days. So. Perfect. So we reached the end of today's episode of Taking Care of Business. Uh, I want to thank you, Ashley. Uh, Ashley Wolf, General Manager of GSL GM City and Bob Wolf, uh, President of Wolf Automotive Group. Hope you guys enjoyed sharing your family entrepreneurship uh, experiences and, and running a family business over so many generations. Uh, next week, we will have a new guest sharing their stories and journey to success. A big thank you to our listeners for being with us. As usual, thank you to our engineer and to our PR. I would like to hear back from you. Uh, send me your feedback at dvwallock at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Like us on Facebook and connect with me on LinkedIn. We will meet you here on voiceamerica.com slash variety next Tuesday, December 5th, 10 a.m., Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time, your host, David Wallach.
Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it.